Good evening. I am your host, Jason Miles, here for another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome. We're glad to have you here and hope you enjoy the show. If you dig what we're doing here on TIR, make sure to leave a like and subscribe on the way out. To all the returning subscribers and patrons, hello. Friends, let's have some fun tonight. We have a great guest. And we're cross-streaming with my very good friend and former neighbor, the host of Give Them an Argument, author of several leather-bound books, Ben Burgess. I really should get those books reissued with leather bonded. <laughs> Can you imagine if Zero released a leather-bound book? <laughs> I think that might be making it. That's making it more than an actual check. Yeah. <laughs> Um, wanted to do this show with you. Uh, figured it makes more sense if we do this as a combined, united front. Yeah, I mean that's a uh, that's a lot of guests right there. So you know you gotta gotta disperse that a little bit. Yeah, you can't just you can't just one one man is not enough for for our our guest today. Um, who was that your first time meeting her in person or no? Uh, the thing that we did at Irvine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think that's right. Because she'd been on my show a couple of times back in like 2020, early 2021. But yeah, I think that was the first time in person. So when we did the thing, it's um, lost like tears in the rain since, you know, nobody was recording it. But uh <laughs> But Jason and, and Amber and Matt Crispin and I uh, did a thing. Catherine Lou was moderating at UC Irvine, which was really fun. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a good – it's a good reminder that if, you know, we do stuff like that in the future, that, you know, people should, like, cross the country to go to it because, you know, it might not get recorded. You know, I wanted to do this show initially, and I thought about it too last minute uh, in L.A. because I know – Amber's in LA, you're in LA, that you do, you work out of a studio. And I was like, oh, let's do it live in the studio. That's usually a more fun conversation. And then I remember your city has some of the worst traffic known to man. Yeah. Um, and I, and I forget mean, you definitely have to be careful. You definitely want to come earlier in the day yeah. uh, or the night before or something. Uh, had, there's too much logistics involved. So maybe, maybe, maybe next time. I'm sure she has a lot of promo stuff that she's doing for for this new book but um yeah. well, amber oh sorry go ahead ben go ahead. oh no i was just gonna say you know it's like i i know you're also not averse to starting to drive at like two in the morning so uh you know me couch a sue couch you know <laughs> if, uh, if it comes to it i i was trying to figure out a way to make it work but you know again i'll blame myself for that um our guest has had a very controversial to say the least uh, tenure as a leftist podcasting elite maybe that has something to do with the hate that gets thrown her way but reading her new book which is a bit of memoir um, of not just her time in left activism circles but it's an insider's look into a burgeoning left that not many people um got to see that starts with the Occupy Wall Street movement and then on to the Bernie Sanders presidential campaigns. Uh, 
Dirtbag is a thought-provoking, intelligent, funny, sexy, and at times hopefully heartwarming. Wherever you are watching or listening to this show, there are links in the description to purchase the book. This is a quote from the book. Generally speaking, I like writing about politics and I like podcasting about politics. In the right company, I even enjoy talking about politics. But actually doing politics, campaigns, protests, activism, organizing, what a fucking drag. I've done all those things. And since I'm a lifer, I know I will again. But they will always be a drag for me. It's just not my idea of fun, but I don't keep showing up for fun. Neither do I do it for a sense of identity, belonging, or camaraderie. I had friends before I had politics, and I would keep an eye on anyone in your organization who didn't. And I certainly don't do it for the warm fuzzies. I do it because I want socialism. And socialism for me is simply a chore that needs to be done. Much of my exasperation with doing politics is that socialism is something I wish was already done so I could get back to reading the short stories of Deborah Eisenberg, convincing my friends to rent a picturesque woodland cabin in Bumblefuck, California. One more time, as a California native, I don't know what Bumblefuck is. Um trying to diagnose my dog's skin allergies, learning to play the Appalachian dulcimer, etc. Socialists become irrelevant to the masses when they forget that the work is intended as a means to an end. The goal isn't to be a socialist, whatever that means. The goal is to change the world so that we can live under socialism or at least as much socialism as we can manage under the circumstances. That is from our guest, Amber Ailey Frost, author, activist, co-host of the successful Chapo Trap House podcast. Please give a big, give them an argument and TIR welcome to Amber. Thank you for that intro. That was lovely. Thank you for having me. I have to say, though, you say that I'm controversial and I get a lot of hate. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever experienced that. I'm pretty sure everyone loves me. Oh, well, <laughs> I look, I'm not going to sit here and lie um, <laughs> and say I knew who the fuck you were and all about you when I met you um, some months ago in Irvine, California. I knew very little about you. Um, and I found you to be a, a quite delightful person, uh, insightful. Um, and we got to hang out a little bit afterwards at uh, Catherine Lou's house. Um, and, you know, you were with the cool kids. <laughs> and Ben and I and Cedric and our friend, I, don't, I think even our friend left. Didn't Jordan leave for a minute? It was like me, you and Cedric. And we were just, you know, keeping to ourselves and you, you know, came over to our little area of the place and inserted yourself. And we had a grand old time mm-hmm. talking a gang of shit. So yeah. I have no problem with you and I don't understand why the rest of the Internet has a problem. With you. You're missing out. Yeah, I think if anyone of any high enough profile uh, is going to have haters, but. 
I got to say, I feel like I should have a higher profile for the amount of attention people pay attention. Like I should be making more money if people are <laughs> talking about me that much. I think I'm entitled to it. But yeah, that is that is the number one thing that people um, who don't know about me say after they met me. They're like, hey, I Googled you and I found out like there's someone who got really mad at you once. Or if they do know who I am, sometimes they're like, you know, you're really nice in person. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah I, am, I am really nice. There is a there is a disarming Midwestern charm, and that's let's let's you talk about that. And you open your book talking about your life in Indiana. Mm. Um, yeah, the I, whole section of the the book, I kept thinking, you know, I mean, I I grew up in Mid Michigan, and I I just uh, that upbringing feels so cosmopolitan as. I'm, uh, <laughs> as, as, as I'm reading this, I, I never once had to like get a cow out of the way. <laughs> right, you know, to drive down the street, you know, where I grew up. Um, your your hometown. Well, this is was called Indiana, your hometown, even though it's a state, and you yeah, live yeah. all over the state. You moved a lot. I will also say this: there's a lot in reading your book that think mirrored my life. Mm. Um, so I was like, oh man, this woman's even more interesting now that I'm reading this book than <laughs> when we were hanging out in person. Um, your hometown is nestled deeply in flyover country. Uh, you mentioned in the book meeting the writer of one of my favorite movies, Heather's. Yeah. Um, also a native of the Hoosier State. And you yep. asked why it chose to set Heather's in Ohio and not Indiana. And you replied, because people can imagine living in Ohio. What is it about Indiana that seems so foreign to people? What do they get wrong about it? And what do you appreciate about where you're from? Um, I, I think the thing about Indiana is that everyone has something they can say about almost every state. Indiana, our, our, um, state motto is crossroads of America, yeah. which sounds a little bit like rest stop of America. <laughs> and it's not, that's Iowa, but yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like you, it's a, it's a place you go to or you go through trying to get somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, unless you're a sports fan, like specifically a basketball fan, you probably mm -hmm. don't have any, any relationship to them. Um, there's just not a lot going on. Our, our capital city, Indianapolis, we call it nap town. Um, and there's a lot of rural areas, mm -hmm. uh, and the industrial areas have been in decline, like Gary mm -hmm. and, uh, the place where I went to high school had, um, it was, it was both a failed agriculture and a failed industrial town. So it was like the farms all got bought by, by, by Monsanto and um, the steel mills shut down. So just nobody had anything. Um, I think it makes us. Uh, hey, dogs from Indiana. It makes us get very large dogs. Hey, <laughs> come here. Um, all right. Let me. Let me do something real quick. Sure, sure, sure. Because this will keep happening with every I, – there, where I live now, there are a lot of coyotes, um, and the dogs are very upset by the coyotes. <laughs> Just a moment. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. That's fine. Um, ben, as a Midwesterner, you yeah. have a disarming aw shucksness about you. What do you love about being from East Lansing, Michigan? <laughs> Uh, yeah. What do I love about it? Um, 
I mean, I do like it. Like I, I used to, you know, my parents uh, no longer live there. Uh, they actually just, you know, moved to a slightly different part of California, like, I don't know, a year, year and a half before I, before I did. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, but every used to be right. That like, you know, every year for a few weeks in the, the summer and, you know, a couple weeks in the winter, you know, I would go to visit and like the summer in particular, like I, I definitely felt very, uh, I definitely felt like very like physically relaxed right every time I got there and you know had uh, the you know like the sort of summer temperature felt right you know I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Bell's beer you know uh, I uh, I uh, you know hockey right I like hockey uh, I I don't know if that uh, uh, yeah that is actually kind of funny I just. I did not get that <laughs> shot until you said so. Just all the clutter on top of that bookcase. Uh, yeah, right. But yes, even as a root millist cosmopolitan, uh, there there is something about the Midwest that you know I've are you know my part of the upper Midwest, right? You know that I've always you know uh, I've always liked. I've always liked coming back to you know when I when I went back. I mean, there is like maybe a certain kind of groundedness. I don't want to like wax too romantic about that, but I mean, I, I think it is a thing. Um, and, and I don't know. I mean, like, I also like the fact that, I mean, this is pretty sub-regionally specific maybe, but like, you know, and it's, and I know it's true of lots of other places too, but like, I don't know. I also like the fact that I came from a place where like lots of people had good jobs because of the, uaw historically and that gave them like a decent standard of living and there was just kind of a lot of just general ambient awareness that that was a thing right that that's uh that that's like a a thing that like lots of people living there had had used to to get like a kind of decent life for themselves and their families and you know that that's uh even even though a lot of that's like declined you know since i was a kid you know I mean, obviously everybody's seen Roger and me or whatever, you know, but like, uh, that's, that's still, I, I, I think that that, um, I think I probably benefited my view of the world from, from like, you know, just, just kind of growing up around that a little bit, you know, in, in proximity to it. I don't know if any of that really answers your question though. Um, it sounds like that your environment shaped your politics more than anything else especially in the book amber you talk about your grandparents quite a bit and how they yeah. talked about union jobs and things like that and then you know you also talk about your the steel mill that was no longer a steel mill and how labor laws got reset when the steel mill got bought out um so it sounds like indiana and east lansing michigan really kind of set your guys's political trajectory into leftism which i think a lot of people probably can't uh, can't fathom that's it's interesting, too, because um, I don't know. First of all, Ben, I, I love that you said I don't want to romanticize it too much, which is the most Midwestern thing you could possibly say. <laughs> you're, you're basically, ah, shucks. Ah, jeez. Yes. You know. Ah, shucks. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know if you were aware of it at the time. Mm. And I was aware of like, oh, things used to be better. But it mm-hmm. wasn't literally till I moved to New York where I was like, Actually, no, it was a little bit. It was when I moved to Bloomington, like college town. That's when I sort of started to figure out. Uh, I I knew that right to work was going to be bad. I knew mm-hmm. that NAFTA has been bad. But assembling things 
and getting a whole picture of it, I, I don't think I really got together until, well, really until I joined DSA, which was a very different organization back then. Um, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Did you, did you get it at the time? Uh, to some extent. Yeah. I mean, this is like, it's, it's kind of, you know, I, I think it was maybe hard to miss that some things had, had gotten worse. Right. And, and the, that was, you know, related to that picture about, you know, about, about NAFTA and all that. I mean, certainly in the, you know, case of Michigan, right. I mean, Donald Trump might not have become president if people there weren't still pissed off about that, you know, so uh, that, um, you know, cause like you had in, um, you know, like those, those like Malika Jabali reports after 2016 that, you know, you had, uh, all of these people, you know, there was all this whole narrative after the 2016 election about the, so, you know, the WWC, that was like a acronym people were using for like a few months before everybody started talking about Russia instead, uh, that, uh, stood for, you know, the white working class was a phrase that always annoyed me because it made it sound like that's a distinct entity, right. You know, right. from, uh, working class people of other skin tones, but the, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, like forgetting people who voted for Trump, just like the number of people who like left their ballots blank, right. You know, would have, mm-hmm. um, you know, would have taken Hillary over the top. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, I think I did get it to, you know, to a certain, you know, to a certain extent growing up, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, yeah, I mean, definitely later. I mean, like, I, I mean, I don't know. I can remember visiting, you know, uh, Fred to Detroit in like the late nineties, which was like an hour, hour and a half away from where I grew up and, mm. you know, like seeing a lot, there that's actually gotten slightly better since then but like mm-hmm. was sort of like like something from a dystopian science fiction movie right it's is like you know uh like robocopy right you know the, the sort of state of like parts of the city by that point right so it's like that i definitely got but this is but this is actually good because because this is something i wanted to ask about about the book right like that you you do spend quite a bit of time talking about deindustrialization and um and, and also you know reindustrialization which is something that i feel like a lot of people on the left don't necessarily spend that much time talking about or or thinking about right so you make a big point in the book of saying hey people talk about this as if like offshore of manufacturing and all of that was just sort of this um this thing that happened in nature right that this there's like some sort of physical law that's outside of anybody's control and you just sort of have to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. And cer- certainly like mainstream pundits have talked that way forever, but like even some leftists have kind of started talking that way and and you really forcefully kind of make the point. It's like, no, this is, this is all sort of under human control. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it's, I mean, there's obviously we both know that there are some very major factors in that shift. One is that, I, you know, there just has been a decline in the industrial worker. So, you know, there's not a lot of people left to advocate for themselves um, to the the left or whatever you want to call it has become very college educated. Um, you know, I even know that I was taught like, uh, you know, you climb up the up the income ladder by going to college um jokes on me um but <laughs> but uh you know they they have internalized this idea that you know whatever logistics you know driving a truck working in a factory um you know uh, the hard hat jobs construction builders 
um, you know, uh, like, uh, I mean, we, we could talk about a lot of industries, but like the yeah. traditional backbone of an, of an industrial labor force is like passe or something. It's like, well, we still need steel. So why, <laughs> what brought you to the conclusion that, uh, that this is over or that, that it has to be over, that there's an inevitability, um, it's a real narrowing of, um, of sort of ambitions. Mm. Um, but it's also just this kind of, I don't like the word classist because it's sort of confusing to people. I think it means being, I, I think it's useful in some ways where people, that just means sort of like snobby. Um, mm. But there's this false impression that there's no one who wants those jobs, that those are sick, miserable yeah. jobs. Um, and that's just not true. I mean, they have been historically really brutal. You know, Marx talked about the satanic mills, but there's nothing again that says that those have to be brutal jobs. Um, I'm a big believer in workers having a geography that they share. Um, I talked about this somewhere else, but, um, you know, I, I think it was teachers union. One of the things they wanted was um, a break room that the principal wasn't allowed to come into. Yeah. Um, it's something that a lot of um, uh, factory workers have fought for, too. You need to be next to each other. You can't really, I mean, like physically next to each other. It's we're not going to have a bunch of remote workers organizing. Uh, and plus, you know, the industrial worker, the the logistics, manufacturing builders, uh, they <laughs> don't have to go to college and spend tens of thousands of dollars to get those jobs. Um, in many ways, uh, college graduates are really disadvantaged. Um, and by that, I mean, they're not in a good position to fight, not like, oh, poor college graduates. Yeah, I think yeah. it kind of sucks for everybody. But they're, to expect them to be, you know, to expect them to be the, I guess, what would you call call it? The, the, the shock troops of socialism is highly yeah, unrelated right. for a number of reasons. Um, yeah, no, oh. definitely. Um, you know, and, and this is something that, you know, I, I, I think that people sort of sometimes hear that. And I wonder if like some of, you know, like, you know, some of the impulse towards saying, oh, it doesn't really matter what people are doing for a living, you know, we'll just sort of organize that. Uh, and it's like, of, yeah, of course, everybody should have a union, no question, right? You know, you should support organized efforts everywhere. But there are reasons why strategically it's like very unlikely that uh, that that people in other sectors of the economy are going to be able to play the kind of role that traditionally, you know, manufacturing workers, miners, uh, et cetera, have, you know, have played uh, in in the workers movement in, uh, you know, graphic designers are not in, in a very good position to, you know, lead the charge. Uh, it, and I mean, anyone who has to pay for college is in a, is in a really bad position. Um, but it, people are just really remotely working so much now that it just seems silly to me to, to think that you're going to develop the kind of relationships and the sense of trust more over the gig economy. It's really, how can you, how do you organize when people it's have impermanent hard. work? It, well, you know, I don't know if you guys remember, but before proposition 22 happened when AB five was rolling out in California, I don't know if you were in California at this time, Amber, um, mm -hmm. when AB five rolled out first, 
um, there was a burgeoning organization of Uber and Lyft drivers that were trying to organize um, against uh, 22. And it, and it didn't work. You know, it, it, it's to you, to your guys' point, it's really hard to organize when we are so atomized. That being mm-hmm. said, shifting to the next question, which <laughs> is kind of a big part of your book, and that is your trifecta of leftists, <laughs> masochists, pedophiles, and necrophiliacs. <laughs> Um, right. Just spent the whole thing at the beginning talking about what a nice girl she is, and then now. And then, yeah, just get, then just yeah. Yes, you know. I call everybody a pervert. Hey, I also said the there's it's, it's a sexy book as well. <laughs> right? She's she's a little she's a little you know girl next door. There's a little bit of Doris Day in this. Yeah, and then there's yeah. a little bit of uh of you know Norma Norma Ray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what do you want? Yeah. You want the Sally Field right now? So let's get um the the Doris Day. So um you talk about these three types of of people that you've you've encountered. Mm-hmm. Three types of personalities. I yeah, should say. on the pervert left, as I call them. So the pervert left. Um. Is that adjacent to the dirtbag left? <laughs> no, I think just, we're pretty much at war. <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we will get to the dirtbag question later. Right. On. Um, but um, masochists, pedophiles, and necrophiliacs. I right. just got done reading an amazing book about the 1980s satanic panic. So mm. I sadly have been knee deep in pedophiles. Which one? Uh, which one was it? I probably read it. The children. Oh the children. yeah, yeah, I've read that one. Do you know uh, the author? Yes, Richard Beck. I like no, like do you know him? Yeah, I've okay, met him a couple you, times. <laughs> you? I'm sorry. I've met him a couple times. Oh, I thought you said something else. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, that's it's another thing, too, there. And I want to make a distinction that I'm talking about the difference between uh, uh, toxic pedophiles and a, and a good, harmless, uh, you know, pervert. You know, when I talk yeah. about the pervert left, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, 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 a harmless, horny pervert. I'm there's talking no, about people whose yeah, perversions is, are affecting us negatively. This is an R. Kelly free conversation. <laughs> So right. Don't worry about the, the uh, but um, can you elaborate a bit for the listeners that haven't read the book or that are interested about reading the book? Because I, I, again, wherever you're watching or listening, there's links in the description. It's the first thing that is written on the description is a link to the book. Please, if you haven't gotten it, get the book. But Amber, tell us a little bit about the masochists. So I think we've encountered the masochists. Um, I think they were the kind of first wave of like, we saw them first on the early kind of social justice internet um, when those sort of circles sort of migrated from Tumblr to Twitter, or at least that's when I first noticed them. I think the phenomenon existed earlier to that. I think there were a lot of Maoists that did a lot of self-criticism is what they used to call it, self-crit. But I think generally there is a tendency of quote unquote privileged people um, to sort of enact a politics of guilt Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a privileged person or, you know, as a colonizer or, you know, as a my favorite is like when they can't figure out to, how to say um, that they're white 
Uh, so they try and like figure out like um, like they can't say as a white supremacist. And I've heard my favorite <laughs> one is, as a learning Speaking racist, as a white supremacist. <laughs> as you, a learning racist is my favorite one. How does it how does it make you feel in those situations? Uh, you talk about it in the book with with some kind of biting sarcasm. But seriously, uh, we've all been in those situations uh, mm-hmm. i am not a white supremacist um, <laughs> but i have been called a man and yeah. i've been told some really horrible things about being a just being a man i'm so sorry don't be <laughs> don't be that's what i get for being a man and <laughs> yeah. saying why are you mad at me and they were like you're part of the problem too i was like i didn't even do it i tried to break up a fight yeah, um, yeah, yeah so so all jokes aside what do you do when you're in those situations of masochists? Because, you know, do you act like you're not white at that point and go mm-hmm. act like um, <laughs> I think I think it's a weird position to be in um, as someone who uh, people can't exactly figure out like that someone who is suspected of not being totally white. So I'm in a I'm in a, a weird and I'll never tell. Uh, I'm in a weird <laughs> position because I've noticed people, they'll go straight after someone who's like white, white, you know, like I, I, I'm white, but I'm like gold plated white. You know, they don't know what's under there if they scratch. Uh, but like 24 karat white, you'll see them like sort of attacked. Um, you'll uh, you'll you'll see that you'll see them um, be like, you know, you are part of the problem. Because, mm-hmm. hey, if you're looking to self-flagellate or you're looking to be punished for your whatever, your trans-historical, the oppressions of your ancestors, you will find someone willing to punish you for it. They'll do it because they have an advantage. My favorite incident, though, was um, someone was like, uh, well, I think we all need to admit that we have like <laughs> internalized racism. I mean, all the white people are need to admit <laughs> well, I mean, I'll tell you, Hmongs are cool. They're Midwestern. Right? <laughs> They're good Midwestern you... Asians, yeah. Um, but I think, uh, I think, th- th- okay. So this person was like <laughs> demanding that people sort of like um, acknowledge their complicity. You know, this is the dominatrix in the in the the masochist uh, relationship. And uh, as I'm, I'm just not talking. Um, and I don't really get in trouble again because they're like, what if we're wrong? <laughs> um, and uh, and they're like, I think we all need to admit it. I think you guys need to admit it if we're going to move forward. Um, and that the, someone was like, well, are, are, are you white? And I'm like, well, that's a rude question. But I was like, sure. And. <laughs> They're like, do you want to, uh, you know, acknowledge your complicity? I'm like, no, <laughs> uh, I'm not. I didn't do shit. Um, I didn't. Nobody I know did shit. Nobody, nobody, <laughs> no living relative I know did shit, especially the non-white ones. Uh, but like, they were like, is a white person sort of jumps in? And they're like, but don't you think you have like an internalized racism? I was like, no. And I'm like, you? And they're like, I think I hold racist beliefs. And I'm like, well, why would I listen? (laughs) You're a fucking racist. You know, I'm not. Amber called me out on my racism. (laughs) 
and she doesn't and she's being again a good midwesterner or you just don't remember I don't remember. There was a yeah, lot no, of we, wine we at the this, after this party. It wasn't that much wine. I'm just having to living room about, uh, you know, your exact racial, you know, classification. And uh, yeah. that's like, you know, there were there were calipers out, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Whole, <laughs> we had the whole eugenic test ready for you. We're like, Yeah, everyone was ready to do 23 and me, family trees, <laughs> you know. And, and, <laughs> I mean, that, that is something that there, there is something that's kind of amazing about that, that like. I, I really do sometimes see very, you know, for lack of a better word, woke people like sitting around having conversations about who counts as white and who doesn't, which is you like. You do not a, want to go down that rabbit hole. Which is like, <laughs> it, it's like, this is something, this is a subject that only interests people who think of themselves as being extremely progressive in a certain way. And like Nazis, uh, you know, who who officially counts as a member of the white race, you know, and uh, who doesn't. That just doesn't sound like a, a not racist thing to do to, for me. But who knows? I, as as I've been I've been accused of being racist before, apparently. But mm. I mean, I you know, I my were you position saying the N word or what were you doing? I wrote it down on a piece of paper. <laughs> That's the loophole. That's how you doodle when you're thinking. <laughs> That's not, not how you doodle. <laughs> What do you do, man? But I, bottom line, I think guilt politics are a dead end. I think they're kind of self-absorbed and selfish. I think they are very beneficial for kind of tyrannical personalities to boss people around. And they're kind of beneficial to these masochistic people who think they've been a really bad, bad boy and want to be spanked. It's like very perverse to me. And I'm like, I don't, I don't so, so- think this is helpful at all. Which which does go to a line that you you quote from your friend Jed several times in the book about how the left can't count uh, because you know this is there is obviously a particular type of you know white person particular types of other kinds of people who who enjoy kind of ritualized guilt and self flagellation but you know I mean this is not like a deep point this is like kind of a blindedly obvious one but most people don't and so keep it in the bedroom man that's your thing (laughs) (laughs) what you do privately is none of my business but i don't think it's very useful in this meeting about uh rent stabilization yeah you you probably like if you're going to start your meeting about rent stabilization by i don't know it's like you know reading an acknowledgement about how it's stolen land and you know having you know having people you know having people sort of ritually feel bad about it like that's going to appeal to people who get some kind of pleasure out of feeling bad about themselves, but it's not going to appeal to most people, which is a problem if you want to convince most people so you can win. Okay. So I have a question about the land acknowledgements, just land acknowledgement etiquette. Do black people have to do a land acknowledgement? Do you want to hear like a American story? black people? Do you want to hear a true story or do you want me Absolutely, to because this, this You want to is... hear a fucking true story about land yes. acknowledgments? Do go on. I'll tell you the name of these people in our private chat. Right, cuz we don't Cuz do I have a feeling you might know some of these artists. <laughs> I feel very confident you do. Mhm. Was on a, the last tour I was on was with quite a woke band Mm -hmm. and they did a land acknowledgement every night 
they were the headliner. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were main support for them, right? And after a while, my band, who is not, I would call them apolitical at best. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the music, music that we did was all me, but they were just like, yeah, we're here to fucking rock out, right? Yeah. Um, Didn't really get the land acknowledgement. After a while, we were all kind of like, this is kind of tarted. Because they would go at the end of their acknowledgement, they wouldn't just acknowledge it. They say, "If you have land and would like to give it back, we." <laughs> I'm not making this up. I wish I could call one. I'm gonna call one of the band members up right now. They'll fucking answer the phone. Um, and and they're like, "If you have, we have people in the back that'll help." Uh, they, they would say a word, but put that together for you. Doing and, a tour stop in some town with a last family farmer who's keeping it together in that town. It's like, oh, yeah. shit, I should give it back. All we got is yeah, this. Yeah. You can have it. Um, and so there was other things that happened on that tour that I would definitely love to tell you about that are just so, like, you've got to be fucking with me. Yeah. So we. Well, did anyone? <laughs> did no. anyone give it? No. Oh, wow. Well, it's the, almost so like we would watch, So we watched show. the headlining. So check it. We don't have a merch cat. You know what it's like touring small. Yeah, yeah. So we're we played right, and we get done. So we we're fucking sitting watching headliner set by our merch stuff, and we we would always be like, who the fuck is the person? Because we've been traveling with these motherfuckers the whole time. Right. So who's the person? So anyway, uh, anyway, we got to New Mexico and Albuquerque and we were all stoked about Albuquerque because you know I had toured there for years in my previous band we had hella friends come in it was going to be a great show we're all hella hella stoked um and the night before they had got hit their car got hit so we had all their gear in our in our fucking van right and they hit they their tour manager calls them to go hey we want to move your slot I'm like no like we're going to move your slot and then the local opener needs to play your gear. We're like, no and no. Mm-hmm. Local openers have been fucking our shit up all over the country. Mm-hmm. We've had to get repairs on our shit all over the fucking world yeah. on this run. And no, we're not moving our slot because we won't be playing in front of anybody. We've yeah. traveled thousands of miles. They're from here. Yeah. Fuck them. That's not how this paid shit. first. Touring band right? gets, yeah, yeah. I got they hand the phone to the local opener who is native and they start yelling at me <laughs> about do I know where the fuck I am? I'm on such and such <laughs> land. And I lost my shit. We were in like the last leg of the run. We had all this woke shit going on every fucking night. And I got someone yelling at me about, do I know where I am? And I said, are you literally asking a black dude right now if he knows where the fuck he is in the world? I said, you and everyone that looks like you can fuck right off. And I started throwing the headliners gear in the middle of the street. (laughs) And the band grabbed me and we fucking we went home after that. We just got off the tour. But and you know what? Here's the thing. I bet that works on a lot of people. Especially white people. But they're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If I apologize enough, I'll be absolved, and that'll be the same thing as doing something. But guess what? Land acknowledgments don't do anything for native people. It just allows, like, I don't know, a few native assholes to, like, uh, <laughs> to just, like, tyrannize the whatever oh, fucking social situation they're in. Never been 
to this day, and I've been divorced. Like I don't know. If ever, <laughs> Same. Like, Same. I don't know if I've ever been that fucking angry. <laughs> that is wild. Life. That yeah. is wild. True story. Also, it's it's very interesting. I don't want to get too off track here, but it's very interesting because I don't know. All these different indigenous people had their own kind of like they would have different, for lack of a better, uh, for better <laughs> lack of a better word, countries. Mm-hmm. Um, they had different laws. They had different laws about ownership. Sometimes they were at war with each other. Sometimes there were land disputes between them. It's almost like we're getting involved in um, in in politics long since past and trying to trying to like uh, litigate something that was, I mean, under disagreement at the time, oftentimes. But it's like, you know, it wasn't all. That's not how land ownership works you can you can be against imperialism and colonialism without reducing it to the fact that well the lenape had the deed to this town like that's not how it works ultimately it does start to feel a bit like you know a form of blood and soil nationalism that like people who have this ancestry have this special connection to this piece of land that nobody yeah. else does it which is a thing that I generally tend to be, you know, against ideologically in other contexts. That little so. menorah's glowing. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Yeah, uh. the blood and soil thing also ties you into the blood and soil thing also ties you into knots when it's like, do you really want like Swedish people to do land acknowledgments <laughs> in Sweden? You know. <laughs> Or like a, you know, a recent um, African country with like that just had a coup or like it's, you know, there's bound to be some disputes over over who uh, is in charge mm-hmm. of that land anyway. But also, I don't know if uh, if uh, uh, privatizing public lands is, is going to be helpful either. That's my favorite is when people are like we should just give um, this big chunk of national forest to this indigenous tribe and i'm like that's called privatization <laughs> someone on ben's stream jay bone um says give fargo and grand forks north dakota back to the black <laughs> oh yeah uh, i don't know who the i've been to, i've been to grand forks hella times almost moved there I've only been the black person there, so I don't know if where the black is. Like, <laughs> but I bet there are a lot. If there's a college there, I bet there's a lot of people. There's a college, right? The That's rest. all Grand Forks is a college, and then it's of uh, Canada. And then you are gonna, <laughs> if if you wanted to, you would have a lot of white people to boss around, and they would love it. They could be Dude. the best. <laughs> it's Dude. tempting sometimes, you know. You're like, man. I could really use my marginal identity to terrorize I, these people. But, but I'm nice those people, they dress like African Bambada in the soul science. <laughs> and I can't take anyone seriously that's walking around right. like Parliament Funkadelic yelling at white people. Yeah, yeah. Just, it's a bit. I can't. I can't. Um, well, you want to move on from the. Yeah, uh, yeah from, sorry, sorry. Moving on. The, uh, the masochist. Oh yeah, we've got, we we've only talked about masochists. So. Yeah, yeah. Pedophiles and necrophiles. Tell us about yeah. um, pedophile. I love the pedophile part because it was not so long ago. I was watching a thing recently on who was the supreme gentleman. What was that kid's name? You remember that kid? Oh, uh huh. 
the kid that shot up uh like Elliot uh, something Elliot I almost said Elliot uh, Rogers right? Elliot Rogers yeah, yeah I yeah. watched this yeah. very it was it was way too fucking long mm-hmm. uh, the last half hour is great first two and a half hours and this is when Elliot Rogers had his third birthday party and that's when he knew <laughs> he didn't like GI Joes. But um, but Elliot Rogers, there's always this debate about guns that happens, and Elliot Roger and the Parkland shooting, all these things. I felt Mm. like they they didn't happen all at the same time. They definitely happened over a certain period of time. But Parkland was this moment where everyone was like, the youth will set us free, and there was a young girl that kind of tragically became the face. Yep. Of this movement. She was probably like 15, 16 years old. And you're talking about kids that have just been through an insane tragedy where all the adults in their lives failed them. Remember, yeah. there was an armed guard at the school yeah. who ran, who hid. Yeah. Right. So these kids are getting together. You know, guns are bad. Like, I get it. And everything they did was never good enough. Remember, they were trying to raise awareness and people in chicago is like what about these black kids in chicago just been doing the same thing racism oh, yeah. or like, or they were like worshipped like it like oh. like a kid with ptsd uh who who is still literally a kid is yeah. have some sort of grand insight into this i mean they might know things and you should treat kids like human beings but oh my god the either Either they were, and you know what? I'll be perfectly honest. I got annoyed by that little David Hogg kid. <laughs> Not as much as Greta Thunberg. Uh, but at some point, is it really healthy to like turn these kids into mascots? Like they, they all fucking PTSD. People got real deal erections for Greta Thunberg. We have a little Swedish girl that apparently can't get right. <laughs> walking out of class because the earth is going to die. I could not. Yeah. Fucking, I was like, what is this little fucking white Scandinavian girl screaming at me? Like, I was so incensed. <laughs> I was just like with her autistic braids, even like I like like this person. Did you say she had autistic braids? Oh, even her hair is autistic. OK, this is hold up. Hold up, Amber. This is you in the book. We're coming for you. Nigga. That's you in the book. <laughs> And it's like, you know, ultimately, I feel really bad for her because I feel like she has really exploited a fucking stage parents. Um, also, I don't think it's that useful to scare the living daylights out of kids about climate change. Um, you know, of course, you know, they could become activists or they become incredibly disaffected and hopeless. You're supposed to be supporting younger people not turning them into fucking mascots and worshiping them because in a way that's that's genuinely passing the buck it's like saying well we don't have to do it because they're magic and they'll figure out it's this weird victorian cult of the child style thing it's like man they don't know what they're doing don't put that on them well even i'm getting annoyed by them (laughs) you know i mean it it connects back to the the masochist because if if you think it's sort of generally ridiculous to think that anybody has sort of a you know special insight and they're just right about things yeah. because of some identity characteristic that might have you know made them yeah. experience bad things in their life if you think that's ridiculous in general probably the most ridiculous case is thinking yes. that somebody's going to have special insight literally because they haven't been alive for very long 
Yeah, because their lack of experience, like that's, you know, kids are the whole definition of youth is that you don't know anything yet because you haven't been around for very long. Right. And it's like forgivable. It's fine. You sh- you're not supposed to know anything yeah. yet. You know? You're supposed <laughs> like, to make mistakes and you're also not supposed to have your entire life and everything you say and do and think turned into something for public consumption. I mean, mm. my God, I uh, there are just you know, pictures of me from five years ago that I don't want out. Like, can you, (laughs) but that's what's so, Oh damn it. I did the wrong button. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You're canceled. (laughs) Oh no, I'm not because I forgot my mug is, is, uh, is, uh, the copywritten intellectual property of the Membreno tribe. So I'm, I'm a good person. It is. Dude, you just made a thumbs up on the thing. How'd you do that? I don't know. Do it again. I have no idea how I did that. <laughs> I didn't press anything. Wow. It's, I'm, I'm just pretty uh, that's, cool. You know what? That's your white privilege. Yeah. Shining through. <laughs> maybe it's my. For, for those that want to know what ethnicity. Magic. Whatever ethnicity she is, she's magical white. That's what she is. Half <laughs> unicorn. Um, but what happens when young people grow up in a moment where commodifying your very existence mm-hmm is the only way you see the world. You only see yourself as brand. So wasn't Parkland kind of a magical thing for this, what I call neoliberal left, Hmm. where it's like we got to democratize every aspect. So we have to have the March for Our Lives, which is a great big concert sponsored by Large Corporation X. Mm -hmm. Um, Those kids are forgotten for the most part now. I don't know what happened to the young girl. I think smartly she disappeared yeah um, so she can I live hope a she life has a nice private life and she's dealing with her trauma <laughs> you know but but all of us on the screen grew up in a time before camera phones before mass surveillance and there's this dumb thing going on i shouldn't say dumb there's people that i know doing it there's this thing going on it's like show me a picture when you were 21 i can't speak for ben and i know amber's kind of young um oh yeah i'm 23 years old motherfucker you're on the screen with two forty somethings okay <laughs> amber i have gray hair in places that gray hair shouldn't be <laughs> you just left your hole about how old you think you are okay okay hitting 40 motherfucker uh at four i'm 46 so when i was 21 we didn't have camera phones we took real pictures yeah. i don't have any of my photos from my youth even if I wanted to be a part of this this internet craze. So we could make mistakes. We could be yeah. irresponsible yeah. without being judged for the rest of our life because one wrong thing Greta mm-hmm. Thunberg says, mm-hmm. and for the rest of her life, she's tarred and feathered as the activist that's not really an activist. Well, even it's, I think it has a really negative effect on art in general, um, you know, but just to move to more shallower and less important but stuff that matters to us mm-hmm. uh you know i have friends that are stand-up comedians and they're like i feel really bad for someone coming on stage for the first time oh. um, because yeah. selling them with their phone they're like 19 and say something that doesn't hold up well a year later and we can't forget that like the you know what is woke or whatever is changed so rapidly and is mm-hmm. changing faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Like they could be retroactively labeled, you know, sexist or racist or, or 
just an asshole. And you know what? What if they actually were? Like, what do they do now? You know, what does an 18-year-old who said something kind of slimy or kind of sexist or whatever, kind of kind of racist, what do they do when they're 23 and they're like, God, I was dumb? Are they just screwed forever because, like, they made a joke at an open mic and someone had a camera phone? But do you have to be that character because, you know, we are kind of a walking brand at or all times. Or do you now, lean right? into it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you lean into this character? And I think we see that especially in online personalities. Um, because we we forget that it takes time for I, I was thinking about this a lot in reading your book um, and thinking about records and music and certain artists that I really like. Um, I come from the world of hardcore and punk and metal, um, as you could tell with the intro music of the show. And um, I like Black Flag. Yeah. Their first two records aren't that dope. <laughs> the Henry Rollins years, and they learn how to play their instruments. Mm-hmm. They get you know, really good musicians in the group. Uh, Slip it in, My War. Those are some great hardcore records. Mm-hmm. You need to make those bad albums before you can make those right. great ones. Stevie Wonder has to be Little Stevie Wonder before right. you get Inner Visions and Songs yeah. in the Key of Life. When everything is recorded, there's no room for growth. You're always mm-hmm. attached to everything you were before. And if there's no way to climb out or grow, the only thing you can really do is dig in your heels, which can't be good for anyone. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Ben? Yeah. No, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I have anything to add to that, but I mean, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely true, right? That's, uh, We're just like, we feel bad for kids. No. Stop staring at them. Stop looking what at if, kids so much. Ben, what if the first book you wrote when uh, you were a kid getting, and I say kid, you were a, a man technically getting it done with your PhD. And the first thing you write is the wonderkin Ben Burgess. And it's not, and it's not as good as by the time you get to canceling comedians. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't, you know, I don't know how bad I would feel for hypothetical me under those circumstances. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, look, I, I think it's bad that like permanent records are real now, <laughs> and they don't even have to be administered by, uh, yeah. by, by, by schools, right? You know, and and I think that it's also bad that, um that there is a you know this this kind of way of you know trying to be a progressive person or whatever that a lot of people have internalized uh that you know it's it's sort of uh you know without being too melodramatic about it i mean like it does i do always think of something that i remember liz brunig saying years ago about how you know this is like this this very harsh value system that seems worse than Christianity because it doesn't have a theory of forgiveness, right? You know, mm. like, like Christianity, yeah. you can be forgiven mm-hmm. for your sins. And it's like very unclear oftentimes, you know, what the, uh, you know, what the, the redemption is and, you know, and, and it does, you know, You're and, damned. And it, yeah, I, I guess so. Right. Uh, and, you know, and it does, um, you know, maybe go back to, that quote that Jason read at the beginning, you know, from the introduction to your book where you, uh, you talk about, um, and, and I should say that quote is sort of situated in the, in this like very funny thing about your interaction with your, um, right wing Orthodox Jewish, uh, uh, cognitive <laughs> behavioral therapist. <laughs> and, uh, 
and and you're sort of trying to explain how you feel about politics, about socialism, you know, but that thing about not sort of wanting to, you know, worry about all of this all the time, right? That the the goal of politics should be to, you know, to, you know, give people the kind of life where they don't have to worry about politics, you know, that, um, mm-hmm. and, and if you, you know, if you are approaching it in that spirit, then like, I, I think that, you know, I, again, I don't have anything profound to say about this. I, I, I just think that people just kind of need to chill the fuck out about a lot of these things. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, but I do want to, I do want to keep it moving because we've, we've covered the, uh, oh, yeah. the we've covered the pedophiles, but uh, we, we just have not done nearly enough necrophilia today. Right, right. <laughs> we cannot skip out on the necrophilia. Um, so this one is very curious, and I think it's something that developed more with, like, millennials um, because we're the people that are um, farthest away uh, generationally from a, um, from a vibrant labor movement while still being old enough to write books. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. The way, but there is precedent for it, right? Like, um, like Martin Luther King, not a popular guy in his day. He dies. Just sanctified. Even like, you know, Republicans love to invoke Martin Luther King. Um, you see it sort of, um, with, uh, indigenous people in America, uh, once, uh, they have been decimated and sequestered and, um, you know, uh, marginalized in, in reservations or just scattered across the country. Then it's like, oh, the noble, whatever people like people when they're missing, um, when they're gone, when they're dead. Uh, liberals tend to uh, like people better or uh, when they've already lost. Um, mm. And I betcha I'm putting bets on it now. Um, at some point, there is going to be a uh, Palestinian memorial, uh, you know, day or, or whatever <laughs> acknowledgement in America. Oh. After, of course, yeah. all the worst things happened to them. Yeah. And I think uh, I think the a lot of uh, leftists or whatever, particularly in academia, like to do that with the labor movement now. Um, I mean, again, back to the Native American thing. It's not just that, uh, you know, they they like these people who have been um, absolutely, you know, treated horrible throughout history. They don't really pay attention to actual living like indigenous people, they're more obsessed and fixated on the genocide and the absence of people because that's more appealing, right? It's always way easier to like someone who isn't there because you can pretend they're a perfect little angel. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, basically you want to, you know, they, they kind of want to, they kind of want to fuck the dead. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, not to put too fine a point on it. Uh, yeah, so so you you talk about this in the context of uh, of um, I guess you kind of tastefully don't say the name of the person you're talking about in the book. So oh I, yeah, I it was follow. really I'm so tasteful. Uh, like, I'm, I'm talking about his book. I didn't use his name. Anybody who's interested enough could look it up in the footnotes. But uh, you know, I, I I I found what he was writing particularly disgusting, and also. He's fine. He got tenure. He'll be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not too concerned. Uh, but, um, 
but in your you know critique of this person right you know you you're talking about this view critique that, of his book uh sorry, sorry critique <laughs> of book. Uh, you, uh, no no um, no you were you were right on but they're both correct yeah 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 uh, he's a nasty person who once called me a nazi so you know yeah so i you, yeah, you, I'll, I'll, amber was like this he called her a nazi amber was like keep fucking with me uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you do, you do, you do have a riff in that section of the book about uh, about shitting on the University of Chicago where he teaches from a great distance. So you know, it's, <laughs> I don't know how much we're going to separate these things, but yeah, in the critique of the in the critique of the book, right? You know, so you talk about how this person has the view that uh, it's it's sort of okay that, or at least we shouldn't sort of pine for the industrial labor force of yore or try to bring it back um, uh, because because really the sort of worker organizing that's like, you know, this sort of should be the locus, you know, where the the action is now is about care work, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one of the main examples is, you know, hospitals and hospices and, and you know, things like that. And, um, you know, I, and this this in some ways goes back to the conversation that we're having at the beginning about the, you know, the memoir aspects of your book and about, you know, growing up in Indiana and all that. And certainly, um, you know, what, what I thought of reading this is, you know, where my mom grew up, which is Youngstown, Ohio, uh, which, uh, has, um, you know, I mean, when she was, you know, she was just growing up there in the, in the era when like, you know, I mean, let's not let's not skip the bad parts about this. Like, you know, living there was kind of like smoking a couple of packs a day, you know, because there, yeah. there was so much uh, crap in the air. But uh, from uh, from the steel mills, but everybody had a job at the steel mill, and mm-hmm. uh, and and now, you know, that's 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 not the uh, that's not the case. To to put it mildly, right? I used to go. My uh, ex-wife and I, uh, when we were driving back and forth between, uh, you know, New Jersey where we lived and um, and Michigan to visit my family, would often stay with a relative of mine who still lived in Youngstown, and like it, it's it's you know pretty pretty fucking grim, right? Yeah. Uh, as as it exists now, uh, and you know, I'm not going to go into the urban decay porn details of that, but you know, that's. Um, but you know it it certainly creates this much greater need for care work and mm-hmm. uh and and you kind of you know i i think you make a lot of substantive points about what's kind of wrong with that vision uh strategically about what's sort of factually wrong about um the idea that manufacturing never even completely went away to to begin with um etc but i mean i th- i think you you know you also say some very compelling things about what's kind of grotesque about this vision that it's like, Oh, we can have this, like, it's fine. We don't need, you know, we don't need, you know, manufacturing. Uh, We could just, you know, like we could just like have, we could just have these industries where we're caring for people who have been Mm -hmm. devastated by the loss of those things. And there is a certain, there is a certain aspect here of, of, uh, you know, of like feeding on the corpses of what we used to have. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, why build bridges? We can build coffins. Oof. Um, it's it's pretty brutal. I mean, uh, when you look at the cover of this book too, if anyone looks wants to look into it, there's a factory on it with um, you know, the cross of like a hospital, and um, that kind of set it all for me because it's like, so we shut it down and now we're 
putting all the people that suffered at the hands of the loss of those jobs and health problems as a result of those jobs too. Totally. I mean, you know, things about, I don't overlook things like air quality or pollution. Um, we're just going to like lock them up in there to die. And then, you know, the future of the labor force is going to be nurses who obviously like, you know, can do uh, amazing things organizing and, and should have strong unions and everything. But do you know how much it costs to get a nursing degree? Like they are in some ways very uh, one. It's hard to wildcat strike when you have to make sure people don't die. But also when you're in a ton of debt, you're more scared um, because there's more at risk with, you know, you losing your job. Um, Negotiating is higher risk. You can get a, a, you know, a, a journeyman's is like a like you can train to become a carpenter coming out of jail with no money. You can have a record. You don't have to have an advanced education. You get paid for training. And also, you're building something. We have a huge infrastructure gap. Have you noticed lately how many, like, this is something that I've said for a while, but, like, at some point when historians look back on this time, they're going to notice how, uh, how like, we slowly, like, acclimated ourselves and stopped noticing that, like, bridges collapse and f- trains just yeah. fly off the tracks. I mean, yeah. we just stopped noticing the place is just fucking falling apart. We have to build more things. And if we want to get green, you know, or whatever that means, like if we want to actually have like, you know, like lower the carbon in the atmosphere, like we are going to have to build more things like we need people who build things. It can't just be like, well, that's fine that everyone's like, you know, miserable and sick and made unhealthy and dying by the decline uh, of 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 industrial manufacturing labor uh the new the new job is going to be the people that have to take care of them while they're dying and it's like that i don't know if that's a particularly uh i mean it, it also plays into uh the theory that the millennial generation is going to inherit all this this wealth from the boomer generation as they start to die off mm-hmm. um uh there's a Netflix movie based off of a documentary. We actually got to have the director on here called the guardians about guardianship. Hmm. I don't know if you guys follow guardianship at all, where Mm-mm. people in, in certain States, there's very, very insane laws where, you know, if your mom fell, the doctor's like, Oh, you know, Amber's mom just can't take care of herself. And uh, we need to get a guardian because Amber can't take care of her. And we're going to get a guardian that's going to, control all of amber's mom's assets and you know we're gonna put her in a home and good good luck trying to get her out yeah that Um, seems like a conflict of interest it's again i think that plays into to that that narrative that there there is going to be a great need for for care for this kind of forgotten generation because when we look at you know look at our unhoused um residents you know you live in los angeles yeah um they're not young yeah these are older people that have they've they've worked out of the workforce yeah and social security isn't enough to uh to pay the bills yeah um the home nomad nomad land initially is about the elderly itinerant workforce Mm -hmm. it's turned into kind of a love story of you know 
life on the fucking road but it's like no it's not about old people that can't afford to live that right. lost homes in 2008 um but moving on uh, amber do we have you for a little bit longer yeah yeah i can do a little good? longer yeah ben are you good yeah i'm good okay um i do hate your dodger blue shirt by the way <laughs> Oh, uh, everywhere, dude. Um, uh, yeah, no, I was just thinking about uh, Nobad, and you know, it's it's not politically illuminating, but it's like, man, I could only take so much of scenes of people like looking at sunsets and shit while like sad music plays in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That movie, I, I've never been angrier at a film mm-hmm. than that fucking movie. But um, Ben, you want to get fucking into loved it? I didn't even watch it because I read like with I'm like, you know what? Seems a little reaction, <laughs> or it seemed, it seemed mawkish. Yeah, I I didn't know it existed, and uh, and uh, Leisha Brooks told me about it. Leisha Brooks told me to watch it because I want to hear what you have to say after you watch this movie. I fucking lost my shit. Um, <laughs> ben, you want to get on the Corbin question? You you probably yeah. Well, I mean, it does kind of go with some of what we've been talking about about deindustrialization, and like I think also even just now a little bit. You know, you were talking about. Um, well, I guess Jason was talking about, you know, perceptions about, um, you know, millennials and inherited wealth and all that stuff uh, since, you know, you, but, you know, you have, you talk about, you know, your experiences uh, canvassing a little bit for, mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, Corbyn and, the, you know, the Labor Party in Britain when Corbyn was leading it and, uh, and kind of some of the, you know, the ways that, um what was going on, you know, going on with the Labor Party uh, and the successes they'd had in 2017 was being misrepresented as a matter of, oh, they were like mobilizing, you know, these like millennial socialist students when, you know, mm-hmm. that's not the story that you heard from people on the ground. But yeah, so if you just wanted to speak to that a little bit or, or just kind of more generally what you got out of witnessing that that defeat, you know, of uh, of, of Corbett and that version of the Labor Party. Yeah, um, I mean, it it was really illuminating. Uh, like we, we went to uh, Dagenham, um, and um, which is had a had a closed, I believe, board plant, um, and heavily immigrant, uh, very abandoned, very very big for Corbin. But I was walking around with uh, with Matt, one of my co-hosts. I'm like, look, it's like the Midwest. It's like we're in Gary or Flint. Um, <laughs> Which really did drive home that this is kind of a global thing is like particularly like outsourcing things from the West to developing countries and those developing countries now have their development stifled and they can't develop their own infrastructure because it's like, well, the only jobs are for American companies that are moving there specifically because there are lower wages and it's this whole cycle and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, to get back to the the original question, yeah, it was also very similar in this way where they thought of it as a youth movement and obviously like a lot of young people got really invigorated i mean as much as i was you know talking shit on the youth it's um you know one of the advantages of youth is that you have a lot of energy and you're probably not as beat down by life and you know you tend to have more time on your hands if you don't have like kids or a mortgage um, so there are definitely uh, political uh, in terms of organizing advantages to being youth. But I was like, oh, there's this whole young group of people. And then I went to Canterbury College Town or whatever. And people 
had been writing articles about how all these these you know young students were going out and uh, you know registering everyone on campus to vote and and then I talked to the two people that ran like the the momentum chapter there and they were like well one the strategy was to go outside of town and to knock on doors of people who didn't usually vote just like the Bernie campaign um, you know to find the non-voters and two uh that entire campaign was during the summer and or the the campaign wasn't but like that voting period was during the summer none of the students were here they all went home to vote but again i think this plays into the whole like pedophilia thing it's like oh the 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 children they're going to not only are they going to lead us forward they're they're more liberal and forward thinking than any generation ever has been it's like well <laughs> first of all the problem with that is that they grow up and you don't have them forever. So mm. if you just lose all the time, there's nothing that's keeping them there. Um, the other problem with it is that that's not necessarily true. There's a lot of right wing kids that are becoming more and more right wing. I think the general stratification of and the kind of the identity based, and I don't mean like ID Paul, but like, mm. you know, being a rose emoji or a Pepe or whatever it was during the, uh, during the Bernie campaign, you know, it was a, it was like an avatar. It was something to be, it was something to do. It was a way to identify, you know, that stuff existed on both on, I wouldn't say opposite sides of the spectrum because it's more of a culture war, but you know, there were right wing young people, like very right wing young people. Um, and that's, uh, the results of a lot of, um, you know, market forces or whatever. That's, Mm. That's what happens. They're miserable. A lot of them are, you know, D-classed. They don't have a big future ahead of them. And you can arrive at a lot of different conclusions if you aren't optimistic about your future. Some of them are very left-wing. Some of them are very right-wing. We we had, uh, or I had recently, someone I think you know, Amber, uh, Josh Citrellia. Oh, Citrellia, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. I said his name wrong again. Oh, I'm just guessing, actually. I don't know I, if I know you're, it right. You, because you're white, you said it right. That's <laughs> um, white says it right um black dang, is whack uh so <laughs> <I don't... laughs> yeah, you just tried it. that was a that was a weird improv but you had yeah. to rhyme it yeah i had to rhyme it you have to rhyme it if you don't it doesn't count um yeah and, I, I, know, I love josh i love what what he does yeah i found him totally randomly on a youtube video and was blown away by uh, the research that he's done into these kind of odd ideologies. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a Maoist, uh, Islamist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not so much about that, the ideologies themselves being significant. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that so many young people are picking a boutique, a seriously mm-hmm. weird marginal ideology as like an identity it's not like oh look at this new trend of like you know anarcho maoism it's like look at what all of these like everyone is so atomized ideologically they're just coming they're just it's like you know they're they're designing their uh their their bedroom or something you know (laughs) like they're decorating or something it's very strange and it's it's really interesting i'm glad he's doing it it's you know it's what like the studs turkle thing but with a really sad sad young people generation it's like an ethnography but does every young person feel they have to brand themselves as something in a moment where everything is so branded and i feel like politically you know years ago 
we all start bands. Even yeah. Ben joked about, you know, getting a guitar because he was going to be in a, like, we all at some point do something that, but now I have a very, never, never clear word to play it for shit. So you, me and a lot of other people. That, <laughs> bands. Um, but there is something to be said about this, this kind of moment where, okay, this, I need to identify as this, mm-hmm. where we just probably would have, you know, even written a fucking poem. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so much more, um, uh, we thought of it as more significant than it was, which I think is yes. practice yes. for that's not, you know, it, it was practice for actually drawing out distinctions as like an adult. But I just remember being like, that's mall punk. That's not real. punk. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, that's what yeah. you should be yeah. doing at 19, yeah. not trying to parse out whether or not you're like a Maoist <laughs> or whatever. You can have like general political instincts and thoughts and curiosities, but like they sort of treated it like, like, you know, punk versus metal versus like it's that kind yeah. of dynamic it's just yeah. something to do and something to be but not yeah, really is, anything to engage a, politically yeah which is like innocent fun if you're if you're arguing about music classifications <laughs> but yeah. it's, you know maybe a problem uh if you're trying to build a movement because you know politics is about the things that we're doing together right so yeah. um uh i i do I, I am curious, speaking, speaking of which, I mean, I don't know, Jason, if I'm stepping in anything you wanted to, to no. get into here, but like, um, but, you know, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, and I just kind of wanted to make sure that, that, you know, this didn't get completely lost, because this is something about your story politically that kind of fascinates me, like, all right, I joined DSA in like, I don't know, <laughs> December 2015, so that was like, Granted, that does make me longer a longer standing member than like ninety nine percent of you know the organization. But uh, you joined it when it was like, you know, like a mailing list of of like uh of like <laughs> several hundred people. Like, I I I I I guess the most basic question is is why, right? I mean, kind of what did you see there? Uh, well, yeah, I think I I mentioned that I sort of start to put things together like I always saw things uh I always saw things and realized sort of like this had a political purpose and you know this this didn't just come out of nowhere this wasn't an inevitability but I only really sort of started to assemble it um into like a worldview uh, around college and I was like oh the you know I didn't know the whole democrats the left wing of capital thing but I'm like they also supported nafta like they also supported the war i also have a cat sorry um you know this was uh this was a kind of a bipartisan crunch of the working class um and i'm like well what can i look at what can i be a part of that i knew probably wouldn't be that significant at the time but might be one day um that you know, has uh, an agenda that's similar to mine, like a political agenda. And I went through a bunch of little things online and I, I think I had pretty good instincts where I'm like, that's a cult. That's a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Those are cosplayers. And then I'm like, this seems reasonable. Um, and it, it, it had a bit of a, a pedigree too. Like it was like, okay, this has at least been around for a while. Um, I am skeptical of things that are very new. Um, 
because most of them just fizzle out. And I was like, okay, I'm not, you know, this is, this has a, this has room for me and what I believe. And I think I could be instrumental in this. And I'm like, Hey, and who knows, maybe someday they'll become relevant. And they <laughs> did. And they became so relevant that they forgot that they had to do something. And now the organization is bankrupt after, as of, of last month. See what you did. <laughs> Fucking. Hey man, the way I see it is that a lot of the leadership decided I was uh I I was bad at some point. I don't know if it's still the people in leadership. So the way I see it, like that's why they went bankrupt. They, um, like you know, you turn on me. Like that's just God is can, punishing you. Can you show me the thing you do when you're celebrating something good instead of clapping? Can oh God. Um, when they were doing spirit fingers so here we'll pretend pretend for a second so amber's new book is out and it's a bestseller (laughs) (laughs) but that was like what you would do like during meetings like that's so embarrassing artsy enough that she is on top of the jazz hand spirit fingers distinction Did you fuck with him and do shit like this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so, and, and, and the thing is people, people would really defend it, especially older people that didn't want to seem old. Like they're very scared that people say that's again, that pet political pedophilia thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they were like, well, don't make, you know, they're doing things differently and like, let's make room for them to do things differently. And I'm like, you know, they're doing things differently from like the common language of most of the country that is not a movement of the people or the 99 percent or whatever that is a bunch of college kids inventing a new language to determine who is in and who is out and who's reading the daily telexes on what you need to do to signify that you're on the right side of history and that you belong if you can't do what the average fucking like you know 42 year old philadelphia dad can you know understand or whatever like then then what the fuck are you doing speak the common tongue for christ's sake it's like beyonce's that what happens when you say the wrong thing what happens can you show me what happens when you say the wrong thing uh don't act like you don't fucking know don't that. I, I I spent all of those meetings like this. Really, Daria? I'm not surprised. I was, yeah, such a real. Oh, I I was real. Um, there was like you couldn't just say like no. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was part of it. Like you couldn't boo. Obviously, the big thing was like don't make noise. Um, because like people with sensory issues or whatever. Who um, like force sensitive Jedi? Oh God! Who yeah, I guess so. Yeah, also, they like, feel a rift have... in the force or whatever. Several um, hundred people at the DSA convention, like maybe three of them, have some sort of extremely unusual sensory issues. Can you just like give those three people earplugs? What do they do at an airport? It's or a almost bus like stop. Yeah. if you're not, if they're not full of shit, uh, I'm sorry, you just can't participate. Like if you don't have the capacity or the ability to do the things that people do to communicate in the real world. Maybe you need to find another way to contribute. Maybe a uh, public speaking isn't going to be your thing. Make some posters, whatever, make some spreadsheets, but 
if you have trouble with, uh, you know, public engagement in any like normal way, um, then maybe being in public isn't your thing. But also they're uh, big liars and they're full of shit. Yeah. I mean, I've got to figure most people who say things like that, like, no, I know you are to be like, fuck you, you're a liar. Nobody wanted to. People are no, so scared. That was the weird thing to me is that people were so scared what if they, they weren't of? skeptical about. So they sometimes they just lacked the skepticism to be like, I think that person is full of shit. But even the ones that privately knew they were scared of saying of of not believing you know what it's, it was a little bit like uh believe the children like it was like no we have to we can't possibly conceive of a world where a kid would make this up after an hour being coached by a cop without their kids or without their parents like no 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 one ever lies no one has why would someone lie about this and it's like there's all kinds of reasons people would lie people lie about killing I, people yeah yeah when I think about the times, all the times I lied about why, why I was late for work. <laughs> just lie. Like you ever lie to your parents? Like, look, here's a real question. And to anyone watching the show, have you ever lied to your parents when you weren't <laughs> really in trouble? You know, that like your mom asks you a question. Probably not Ben, because God damn it. I mean, you want to talk about <laughs> wonderful family. Are you calling him a mama's boy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Other than uh, his dad that never liked him, but his mom. I mean, really Jason's, you know, Jason's Lauren. met my mom. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> uh, very pleasant woman. But, yeah, sure. Right. I mean, I'd lie yeah. to you know, parents when I did, like, just to just for, like, social comfort or whatever. It's like yeah. I anybody who said they didn't would presumably be lying about that right i mean like or like but, extremely autistic yeah like, but, like yeah, yeah, so maybe. autistic yeah. that you're like that Re- guy is telling the truth hitherto unknown levels of autism but yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. And, um but yeah look i get it right like because i know i mean i was actually that convention where those those clips were from about the spirit figures and all that uh the, <laughs> they should have uh, been kicked out yeah no, you're just like you're being disruptive uh if you can't handle this leave but no one wanted to do that because the whole thing was like we have to be sensitive to everyone we have to bring everyone in it's like no you fucking don't what organization no. brings everyone in even if that organization is going to benefit that person that doesn't mean they get to be in charge of anything some people can't be in charge of things uh, by the way, uh, Jay Seffrey, uh, that guy is in such better shape than I've ever been in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, is, that is not the actual body type of a philosophy professor. But in any case, uh, the uh, look, I mean, I get it because a lot of people I know, right? I, I mean, look, I I talked to plenty of people who were there who who were definitely rolling their it's eyes. Best the whole friends, time. you spared fingers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but. Um, but like I get it, you know, you don't want to make like you don't want to be the person being like, no, this is stupid, you know, like everything you just said, all those rules are stupid, whatever, because then you're starting a whole thing about it, and that's not really what you're there for. Like you didn't, and you know, you yeah. don't. Nobody, like nobody. And thus, be- that person is allowed to start the whole thing. Thus, <laughs> yeah. they get to run away with the meeting. Here's no, my exactly. favorite thing to do in a fucking meeting where someone's doing that. Here's my motion. <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> yeah, it's just the correct response. But I'm, again, like I get it. Like you become a socialist. Like, People are so scared. They got. I'm sorry. You got to fucking grow a pair and be like that know, person's full of shit. Get him out of here. Like I don't know if they're like a provocateur or just an asshole, but get them out of here. They're fucking shit up for everybody. We need we have shit to get done. The no, next to- game totally, we're gonna play at like TIRs. What's in have shit to get done. <laughs> you know, like again, you become a socialist because you care about like actual injustice in the world, not because you want to like spend your time arguing with crazy people about whether clapping is okay, right? Mm-hmm. So like I I understand the the instincts, you know, to be averse to conflict about it, but then the problem is that those people, you know, just get to like get their way all the time and that, you know, and yeah. then it projects this like horrible alienated image to the rest of the world. And like, mm. yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, I think just doing this, you've seen is probably a fair compromise. Well, you know, you can't obviously, yeah. I, conflict averse is a lot of times code for being a pussy, but like <laughs> there is, there's something to the idea. And this is a stupid, tough guy thing to say. But no, you don't want to start things, but you have to be able to finish them. Like if someone starts shit, you can't wait for it to blow over because at some point not they're enjoying themselves. You're all distracted. You're placating them. They are the ones that started shit and you have to end it. Fair enough. Well, on the subject of. Uh, times and places where a lot of leftists were being embarrassing and weird. Uh, Jason, I know you had stuff you wanted to to bring up about the Occupy parts of the book. Uh, again, how much time do we have, Amber? Um, I got a few. I tell you what, let me let the dogs in, and then yeah, and then I can go I in look, for a here, second. Here, go go shoot a coyote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, that, I don't... She, she's a she's a she's a crazy look. She's she's not that big. She's also one of those people, kind of like uh, Casparian, that's like super tiny. <laughs> Can you see him? Huge, huge personality. Um, and you know, there's I actually think, Anna yeah. watches the show enough that it's you know it's it's quite possible she caught that. So uh, <laughs> I'll say before. Okay, well let her let her let her know I said that. Because um, you know you you see these people in real life, you're like, oh fuck, you're, you're fucking tiny. And uh, I don't know. The, I, I really enjoyed the book. I hope you guys go out and uh, and give it a give it a read. It... No, it, it is it is a very like it's a it's a very fun read. It's very mm-hmm. you know like it's it's very well structured. Um, in, in this way that there's this kind of frankly like slightly misleading and that sort of setting low expectations strategic way thing at the beginning about like oh I've got ADHD and that's reflected the writing style is gonna be all over the place. She knows what she's doing, right? It's actually all laid out very well. Uh, there's a there's a flow to it, right? You know, you're not gonna it's 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 never gonna feel like homework. You know, you're gonna enjoy reading through it. Um, you know, I certainly have been. Um, someone's asking Amber if she can uh, give a tutorial on coyote skinning because we really know what she's doing out there. Yeah, where the fuck does Amber live? Like out of the hills? That she's uh, yeah, I, we, I think I know where she lives. I'll be quiet about it. But I think... <laughs> Good call. I, I <laughs> think, look, here's the thing. We we talked about where she, which, her ethnicity because I made a very rude comment about it that by the grace of God, she's forgotten. Um, She's blaming it on wine. I don't think she had a fucking drink that night. She was stone cold sober and called me out really bad. And that's fine. 
She, but, she, um, she, she did not. She, uh, I, I was she, there for this entire conversation. Yeah, she was fucking, she did nothing she, she, was in her hands other than fucking, uh, you know, just crushing my soul. But uh, <laughs> she, she fucking, uh, she, we were giving her shit after a while when she like wanted to join the, the group. And it's like, well, you want to come over here in the bad side of town. Well, we got to figure out what you are so we can make fun of it for the next hour and a half. And she was like, well, I'll give you some material. And I believe in my soul that with her bare hands, she can skin anything. And I believe she's cut the heads off of a few live chickens. Oh, <laughs> first of all, I will take a lot of slander, but how dare you accuse me of being sober at a party? You break it to you. I can lie to people and say she was fucked up. She was doing fat rails off the ass of some dude. We will ask Catherine because she made actual punch. And by the end of it, I'm like, pour some more vodka in there. Yeah, you know, you know, you know why you had to say it like that? Because you were not drinking it. You. <laughs> You fuck. You forgot. You forgot how much fun we. I were. had a designated driver for a reason. Um, as for coyotes, I love coyotes. Mm-hmm. I would never hurt a coyote. I I, I identify <laughs> with them. Ben, we have to address some super chats for a second. Um, Amber, <laughs> yeah. you have to be with. So also, we have to add. Uh, usually, we cut this show off at an hour because Amber agreed to come on on a Wednesday, which is our usually our white guy Wednesday. They're allowing me to gentrify it. I did bring white people in, so it's okay that I'm here. Please, please don't mess with me on White Guy Wednesday. Um, and we're, you're getting free champagne here on TIR. But uh, thank you for the super chat. We have to address this, Ben, and you need to answer this question. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> you do have to answer this question. Oh, I got to know. Well, okay, look, I forgot. This is also being streamed on Ben's channel. Ben would never answer this question on his own show. He's just doing this for me. Okay. Okay. Ben, uh, what's Ben's <laughs> opinion on hoes? Loyal or not loyal? Clear the this people up. People need me. to know. Uh, well, you know, I, I believe the conventional wisdom is is not loyal. I think I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> That's fair. That is a fair answer. Yeah, I mean, I, it gets said a lot. I can't Love imagine it's not not true. Oh, what is your take, Amber? Hose, loyal, not loyal. I'm sorry. In my experience, they have not been. I'm not going to use that to generalize about all hoes. Right. But mm. I've had some bad hoes in my mm-hmm. past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, maybe mm. you just haven't met the right hoe. Exactly. I always Amber. said that. <laughs> hint, hint, hint. Exactly, Amber. Maybe you should come down south to Mexico. <laughs> Change your whole whole perception. <laughs> Change your whole perception. Uh, <laughs> Occupy is a decade past. And a few oh. people made careers off that moment. Uh, some people. Okay, well, now at... I'm getting a drink. Hang on. Oh, shit. <laughs> now, yeah, now she's getting a drink. I don't know what was in that cup, but she went from being shy at the beginning of the show. Did she pull up a whole bottle? This she pull- We're going to need the big bottle. All right. Oh, we're shit. Gonna talk man, you want to get, you gonna get gonna a bottle for yourself, man? We're going to talk about the Occupy Hustlers. 
So then you want to get a bottle? Oh, oh, Burgess, go get a bottle for yourself, Burgess. This, I'm the only teetotaler here. Speaking of of gentrification, this used to be the cheap bourbon, and then everyone mm-hmm. found out about it, and now it's twice as expensive. And I gotta say, it's my only political issue at this point. Make bourbon cheap again. Um, anytime white people find something cheap and they think it's kitchen <laughs> cool, they ruin it. Look at what you people oh. did in New York. Yeah. <laughs> you know you. Hey, I love. Hey, I love. How do you I'm like in Don't mostly white in. LA. All of LA. I'm in. Here's here's the thing. I'm in white LA with um Black Lives Matter signs. LA. Ooh. That kind of white. You know yeah, what that means? I'm, I'm doing pretty well for myself. I was gonna say that means you made. Sounds like somebody made it. Yeah. Yeah. See, I I you know I live in a part of East LA with lots of Mexicans. Amber's out where there are only white people and coyotes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I have two pit I bulls, so I'm very popular house. with the Mexicans. <laughs> you need now we're getting on racist. Now we're on racist land. The hey. Mexicans, they uh, think I'm one of them. No, red rednecks and Mexicans agree on quite a few things. One, fireworks are a year-round thing. You don't need an occasion. <laughs> you don't need an occasion. Two, pit bulls, best dogs. There was There's other bowl. stuff too, but you know, fried um, foods. Focus on that. So, so Amber, I live in Mexico. Some, ben lived here. Got some bourbon mm-hmm. for solidarity. Oh, so there we go. Uh, there we go. Clap it up. So Amber, I don't know if you know this because apparently you don't remember anything about our meeting. I I remember Bay Area, uh, Mexico. Lying. I remember it. That's mostly. I was drinking. You weren't. I had a designated driver. That don't mean shit. You right. having designated fun. <laughs> this is the worst thing that any of, of all the times I've been called racist or mm-hmm. like a, a a misogynist or mm-hmm. transphobic or whatever mm-hmm. on the internet. Being mm-hmm. called sober is mm-hmm. the only thing that's truly hurt my heart. Stone cold sober. You could have oh. done a handstand, some old school break dancing. You was good as shit. <laughs> I brought out the cardboard. And- yeah. <laughs> um. I know we're off track, but we're having such a good time. I'm having a really um, good time. I just want to make sure that whenever, because you got a lot more press to do in this book, I want you to, at the end of all your other interviews, I don't give a fuck what show you're on, be like, this is all right, but I went on this one guy's show that lives in Mexico, mm-hmm. and that, that was so much fun with Ben Burgess. Mm-hmm. And you won't remember my name, like that one guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ben Burgess and the black guy with the hat. Yeah, yeah, black guy. I just remember black guy. I don't know. Jamie yeah. Foxx. I don't know who the fuck it was. <laughs> I will say the worst part about this part of L.A. being like uh, all, the, all the friends are like white. And there's a lot more guys that live on this side of town. And so when I get introduced to someone, I have a lot of trouble remembering names anyway. So I'm like, you need to tell my boyfriend, like, you need to make either some black friends or a guy with a really recognizable scar or like a redhead, something memorable. 
It can't all be this like dishwater. Get some different kinds of white mates. Maybe someone Polish. You, Anything look, for me to be able to tell them apart. <laughs> you, you look. First of all, we have to shout out to to Dizzle McFizzle. My E and J is safe from gentrification. <laughs> <laughs> Until white people like it, then it's we coming for you, nigga. And it's gone. So, <laughs> so that is true. A lot of white people look the same, and Oh, we won't even get into that. That's a whole yeah, yeah. Thing. We gotta stop before we get into Fucking trouble. The sameness of white dudes in hipster areas. Well, That's why you can spot Ben anywhere. It's not like you find like a Slav or something. Like well, you know where there were a lot of white people? Sakati hmm. Park. All right. <laughs> Jason, go. And the Ever. ones that weren't got NGO jobs. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's get a real edge. We, let's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to read this as I wrote it. Mm-hmm. I haven't been drinking. I've been drinking more. Well, I don't even drink. Um, Occupy is now a decade past, and a few people made careers off that moment. Some people look at it as a beginning of a left resurgence. What do you think we should take away from that moment? Is horizontalism a dead end or are they just doing it wrong? <laughs> okay. Obviously, you know how I feel about this, but I would like for there to. Okay. So my mama and papa uh, took me to a lot of church growing up. Right? This is how we know you're really comfortable because you didn't call them by the house name. <laughs> My mama, my papa took me to church when I was little. I used to have to sing them songs. I, Our God is I an spent, awesome God. I spent a lot of time calling them grandpa and, you know, grandma and mm-hmm. grandpa. And then I realized that was that was uh, redneck shame. And I will never do it again. <laughs> I will call them to other people what I call them to them. Um, and so sometimes very small church groups are horizontalist. Mm-hmm. I would say the limit of horizontalism reaches a ceiling around four men or six women. Wait a minute. What if they're all together and it's ten people? You're fucked. You're you fucked. To, oh, if, it, if, there, if there are one man and one woman, you're fucked. You can't even – I mean, you could do literal horizontalism with one man and one woman. Hey. Yay. But, but, I mean, think about just romantic relationships. Like – like there's no the the level at which you can do it. You, maybe you could organize a bake sale. Maybe. <laughs> but at, if you really want to get something done, like obviously horizontalism, one, you're extremely vulnerable to people who have sensory issues um, and, you know, point of privilege people because like you have to stop and you have to listen to them. Uh, you can't kick out anyone who's fucking shit up or at least reassign them to something where they can't fuck shit up. And this is assuming they're not trying to fuck shit up. But it's just it's never I've never seen an example of it working. I think when people point to examples of the working, it's generally like a weird racist misreading of like a tribal or traditional sort of political like uh, formations. And give, it's like, well, first example. Oh, I've heard people be like, uh, the, you know, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of like what tribes they use, but you know, the Ojibwe people of North, you know, or something like that, or, you know, this, this, um, 
this, uh, you know, this uh, South American tribe. And I'm like, first of all, no, they don't. They're they're not they're not horizontalists. It's like that is a that is something you heard a a a, a white person with dreadlocks tell you, and you just believe it. Damn. 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 Once and again. I, once again. I just think. <laughs> I just think that we need to get past the idea that like um, hierarchy or uh, you know is somehow violence or something. It's like, you know, it's a division of labor. Some people are good at organizing, you know, other people. Some people are better at working on discrete tasks. Some to ex- What you're really doing with horizontalism is expecting everyone to be good at everything. And well, expecting everyone to be nice, social people. And you are going to have hierarchy anyway, because we're still talking about human beings doing stuff together. It's just that it's not openly acknowledged hierarchy that might have oh yeah democratic accountability attached to it oh yeah absolutely no i mean i like i just think about like um i don't know i think about like my step and half brothers and sister and i was uh the oldest and obviously i was gonna take away the video game controller because i can you know it's a situation where even a 13 year old amber can be a tyrant Imagine like an adult person who's like, I'm going to cause problems on purpose. Like that's, (laughs) you're really vulnerable to that. And those people do exist. There's fun. And you know what? They're important too. And socialism exists to, you know, uh, give them the degree of liberation that they deserve too, which means we need to keep them out of the fucking kitchen. Ooh. Ooh. We are trying to feed you, but you are a bad cook. Get out of the kitchen. <laughs> um, people, people said that this is killing it, and you have to get the wrestling drop at the end of the <laughs> the episode. I, I know you again. I know you never watched this show. Um, I don't totally listen to podcasts. Mm, really, just, yeah, oh yeah. It's well, I am racist. I mean, come on. The internet doesn't lie. Alerted, <laughs> not even a learning racist. Like has learned nothing. No, I refuse to learn anything. <laughs> I refuse to unlearn my racism. My racism is the only thing that I've learned, and you know what? I'm done. I'm done learning and unlearning. There we go. You guys want to know what the book is really about? <laughs> <laughs> At the at the end, she first just said, page N word. Yeah, and that's how it ends. Too. It ends. It goes, and that's why I can say the N word <laughs> once a year on my birthday. But there's rollover. <laughs> I think people just figured out what a what a little bit of my not white is. Uh, but <laughs> I admit nothing. I admit. You didn't nothing. know that's why Amber's got bad credit. I am oh, in a no. lot of debt, so I always no wanted something that. to blame. It's see, not my people fault. People always see you from here up. They've never seen the whole Amber. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's got a shelf. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. <laughs> that's that's why she wasn't drunk. She was knocking over everybody else's drink. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> this is why I have the big bottle. It's not as difficult to knock over. Right? Yeah. That's this is look, you guys are getting an inside scoop. 
<laughs> oh god there was a period too where people were on reddit playing the the racial guessing game and i i thought about saying something about it that i'm like no this is more fun i, I like <laughs> i like watching the debates more no for, for those know. of you that play i played the racial guessing game in real life and again i'm very glad amber does not remember oh no you don't shh. it's okay we'll save it for after the show don't act like you remember now. That's fucked up. No, I just is your, your boyfriend's in the room. You're like, oh no, I just. Mm-hmm. It's not an insult. It's anytime anyone guesses anything, I I'm like, uh, no, I'm just cute, you know. Like it's uh, it's it's you know, it's never an insult unless you're racist. <laughs> I was gonna say something so offensive. <laughs> There was a there was a time um, when I was still living in Mexico. He's gonna die. Were, Jason uh, is done. <laughs> we're out at a uh, at a restaurant, and uh, I and he said like he asked Siri something on his phone, and Siri uh, and Siri like told him the answer, and then he said gracias because it's just kind of habit, you know. And Siri mm-hmm. said, "I'm sorry, I don't understand that." And so I said, oh, that's because you're a racist. And uh, apparently Siri, at least at this point, was trained to respond to accusations of racism by saying, I swear to God, no, I'm an anti-racist. Anti-racist. We lost our shit in the fucking restaurant. We lost our fucking shit. We're like, did you just tell us you're an anti-racist? Bitch, if you don't shut the fuck up. Oh, and it was at that moment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. One more thing. Just related to technology. Uh, my ex uh, it was like a VFX. You, you met my ex. You don't know the new one. I'm, you know, lonely a lot, but never for long. Uh, the, uh, There's he a story worked... to that, too. <laughs> he, uh, he was a VFX guy. Like, he works at video effects. And, of course, they started to involve... Um, uh, AI stuff and you know you communicate with uh, chat GBT or whatever too and you try to get a conversation out of it and he was saying uh, Siri uh, tell me or whatever chat GBT uh, tell me a joke uh, about an Italian and it was like why did the Italian uh, go to sleep because he was too tired from eating spaghetti and it's like okay first try i get it you're learning but mm-hmm. then he goes uh, tell me a joke about a black guy and they're like i'm sorry you can't do that that's racist and <laughs> here's the thing though here's the thing mm-hmm. that means that chat gpt is white because black people would make jokes about black people. What they have default done is turned the technology white. That is so funny. It, it's not just that. That's it's a white man where he said, make tell a joke about uh, a man. And, of course, it made something like in, incongruous or whatever about, about men explaining things or whatever. And then it says, tell a joke about women. And, like, I'm sorry, we can't do that. It's sexist. It's like... That means you made a white man. <laughs> like, That's it can't be. It's patriarchy. Amazing. Look, yeah, hey, they, you live they, in a patriarchy. 
they completely uh, painted themselves into a wall with that one. They're like, well, we can't make, it can't make jokes about black people. I'm like, well, then it can't be black. Like, <laughs> then it's definitely not black. But fuck <laughs> you Asian people. Yeah. We should give that one a try. Start plugging stuff in. We'll try and figure out what race and gender chat GPT is. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. That's like, you know, GPT, Chinese, uh, dirty knees. Built yeah. a society with, uh, you know, dystopian levels of economic inequality and atomization and social despair. But God damn it, all our robots feel very bad about their white male privilege. <laughs> we made them white and male. And Just so they can feel bad good. about it. We made a college student. We made AI college students. Chad GPT is a nervous white guy liberal comic. <laughs> <laughs> Who gets nothing but clapter. Oh, you said you know clapter? you know clapter right? Clapter. Instead of laughs when with I the oh. worst one I ever saw is a guy walked out and he goes, "Men are trash, am I right?" And people are like, "Ah!" And it's instead of laughs, you get people clapping. And if you get people clapping, they're saying they agree with you, but they're not saying you're funny. Ooh. Yeah. When are speaking of laughter? When are we going to go to the comedy store again, Ben? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that was Chris hooking it up. so We can we can talk to Chris. Um, Amber, do you go watch live comedy? Uh, I was just uh, at a live comedy show last week. No, but like uh, funny at people? At the store. Um, oh, God, no, I don't do stand-up. I like myself. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, you okay, so are – so my very good friend, one of my best friends since high school, is at the store. He's been working there for a minute okay. now. He, Chris Riggins, he opens for Chappelle. And- oh, nice. He forget what room he was he works in, but let's let's go let's like posse up, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Are you yeah. down to roll with us, Amber? Absolutely. I, I I love live comedy, especially when they tell jokes and don't just say things that you know you're supposed to clap. No, for. <laughs> no Chris is funny. He's actually he's actually like legitimately funny. I, I trust you entirely. Um, <laughs> bullshit, because you fucking didn't know who I was. You. When he got on the screen, she's like, oh, fuck, I think I do remember that guy. Heartbreaking. I you don't re- fucking know. What do you mean I remember? The, of, of, the, of the two people that were in, like, two other people that were in the bad kids corner, <laughs> there was only one other guy. It was Ben, Sid, and you. Yeah, yeah. You remember fucking Sid. <laughs> you remember Seth. fucking Ben. I've been friends with I, I've no, I've hung out with Ed multiple times. I've hung out with him multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. We, you know what? We we hang out without you and we talk about how uncool. <laughs> you I wouldn't doubt any of that. <laughs> Ced's a hater. Now everybody knows Cedric Johnson is a Cedric Johnson. If you're watching the show right now, don't fucking send me no text messages. You're a bona fide hater. <laughs> Taking up I, all the white women like that. <laughs> By the way, do you to... want do you want one racist joke while before we go? Dude, we were telling so many racist jokes <laughs> that night because I was telling you to hook me up with a white woman with a long butt. Oh God! All right, <laughs> I got I got one for you. So you know Cedric's book. Come on, shut up. Because you know Cedric's book, um, you know, is uh, the Panthers won't save us, and and it, mm-hmm. it got some ooh, it got some reviews uh, from crowdsourced from um. 
including some, the, that writer that I wrote about, who I mm-hmm. called a necrophiliac, mm-hmm. um, where they said, leave it to a white guy <laughs> to have criticisms of the Panthers. And my friend said, okay, that's a weird assumption. I could see, like, maybe you Googled a picture and didn't look hard. Yes! And she said, plus, you you ate up, you ate up my punchline, but it says, plus, his name is Cedric Johnson. (laughs) She's like, that is a throwaway the resume name. (laughs) In academia, it's a keep the resume. But, you know, in... A regular oh, job. It's like he's got a throwaway the resume name. <laughs> you would think he was angrier when you see that name. Like, oh, Cedric. Yeah, Cedric. You would think he was way older too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like a ninety-year-old black man name. He's all cool. Comes in with tattoos. Hey, hey, just, yeah. hey, <laughs> hey, hey, everybody. Hey, fuck you, Cedric. Hating on me. It was Damn. great. There were, there were so there were like just a rash of people saying, <laughs> "Thou dare this white man!" And it's like Cedric Johnson. The worst you, is when Cedric <laughs> Johnson gets confused for the other uh, the other Cedric Johnson, who's also an academic. Oh, and, that, may, that maybe is what happened. And he gets confused with Cedric Robinson. Okay, that's gotta hurt. And wrote a book that none of us like. <laughs> Yeah. That is that is yeah. And now yeah. we know he's a hater. Yeah. Everybody send him a message and say, Hey Cedric, we heard you were hating on Jay when uh, he was <laughs> Make sure he could never have his uh fucking his uh uh Kim Kardashian Kanye West uh dream couple with uh Amber Ailey Frost. <laughs> that fucked fucked up, man. That's all I wanted. Just wanna walk around with a mask on, talk shit. Yeah. Obviously. Right? What else is there? That's all. <laughs> That's all. <sighs> okay. On that note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're coming After to After I idea. end on a on a racist joke that I stole, it's even worse is I stole this racist joke. From uh, a from a more racist person. Yeah. Oh, she's no. she's Asian, so she's the most racist. <laughs> is it our is it our mutual Asian friend? No, 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 no. No. You're like, no, I know other Asians. Yeah, not to (laughs) brag. (laughs) I know quite a few Asians. I don't know if you know this, but they think I'm one of theirs. (laughs) It it happens. Again, it's flattering. (laughs) They think I'm a fair skin winner, so (laughs) (laughs) sometimes though if they're older, that makes them really angry at me. Yeah, because they're like, why don't you speak Korean? <laughs> You're like, I don't know, because I'm fucking not. Yeah, they're, they're like, you've betrayed the ancestors. I'm like, I don't know what to do. You it's you got to hang out with me and Catherine one of these days where we, she took me out. To, well, I'll talk about that off air. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, All right, last question. Hmm. In closing, hmm. are you a dirtbag? Born, raised, and will die. What is a dirtbag? So, unfortunately, uh, whenever you say something that resonates with people, eventually uh, it catches on 
and the dorkiest people in the universe uh, start saying it until you never want to hear what you said ever again. So it was sad to me that Dirtbag Left got, no, it wasn't sad. It was embarrassing that something I said in a tweet that I never expected anyone to ever remember became uh, synonymous with me and with my podcast and with the the Bernie bros and Bernie hoes who are loyal. (laughs) There we go. Those are loyal hoes. Um, But I think I, I think I did like what I said, even if I got sick of hearing it and all the biggest dorks in the world got obsessed with it. I like that there were people that didn't bow to the liberal pieties of uh, sort of the Democratic Party and general conventional liberal thought. There are mm-hmm. people who were just socialists mm-hmm. Uh without being like woke or whatever that means without without you know reciting the catechisms without you know without doing the spingers or or using the right words or saying unhoused or whatever they just believed that everyone should have health care and a good job and housing and shouldn't be in debt for college or or you know or or medical bills that people deserve some dignity and some control (laughs) over the economy and also they think dumb stupid shit is funny like it's like what i think of as normal people Mm -hmm. her name is Amber Ailey Frost. Again, wherever you are watching or listening to the show, there are links in the description to Dirtbag. Dirtbag, the much anticipated debut from one of the most engaging and insightful writers of our generation. The book is more than a political memoir. It is a chapter in the story of the only movement that has a chance to reshape our world, excuse me, into something better. It captures an electric time of thrilling triumphs, stupid decisions, friendships and rivalries, new and old, struggle, joy, setbacks, and heartbreak, all with magnetic prose, remarkable candor, and unflappable humor. And again, I want to reiterate, it's thoughtful, and every chapter, in my opinion, ends on a very honest, heartwarmingly hopeful note. Because, again, you can't do this type of work, and I think people know you only as a successful podcaster, and there's a lot that goes into that moniker. It happens to people like Ben Burgess as well, where everybody assumes (laughs) that you come from a certain amount of privilege, Um, you come from very, very working class roots, single mother, a strange relationship with your father. Single teen mother, not to brag. Single teen mother that had to drop out of college because of, you know, baby oopsie. <laughs> um, and you're navigating through through the world and the jobs that you've had that have also helped shaped, shape the way you see the world. Um, jobs that are people forget about them. You know, mm-hmm. working with people with mental illness and, and 
in shelters and environments like that. So again, if you want to have a critique on this woman because of something you've heard her say flippantly mm-hmm. on a show, you know, because this maybe on this show. Form, hey, I like within the last couple of hours. <laughs> I I say all the time. I make people say, "What do you do for a living?" I was like, "I kind of make dick jokes." <laughs> Pretty much. So often, you know, I kind of. But it, it is. It was a very very thoughtful read. Um, I know you're a part of uh, Damage Magazine as well. Mm-hmm. So I published something there recently. Um, yeah. She didn't even know that. She's like, oh, that's the that's the guy. Look at her. What a dick. What a fucking dick. <laughs> I gave notes on that. Yeah, yeah, I bet they were. I, I'm glad I didn't see them. <laughs> I had notes. No, I no, actually, I, I was very pop. Yeah, I was uh, very in favor of it. It's a very good article. Um, how many good articles do I have to write before we can? be seen on the leftist red carpet <laughs> what the comedy store <laughs> <laughs> how many <laughs> uh, i mean i'll go to the books. store man yeah <laughs> i'll go to the store for the price of a drink <laughs> <laughs> sold <laughs> yeah ben Burt is closing well, I just want you know, I've also been in damage, so just just say it. He's always dropping his dick everywhere. Just like, yeah, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that thud? <laughs> I'm sorry, it just does that. I, it's too much to hold up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm not going to have anything to say about this that's anything like as eloquent as what Jason just said, but uh, it's uh, it's a very good book, and people should read it. I hope it's fun. Say it's fun. It it I look, I didn't know what I was it's getting dreary, into. It's dreary, it feels like homework, you know, it's just very tedious at <laughs> every page. I uh, will kill you, Ben Burgess. Hey, I'll be re- hey, I'll be really honest with you guys before we go. I don't know why here. I'm even gonna take off my glasses. I'll be this take off the glasses. Ooh, ooh, so ooh, awesome. Now, now can we fucking go to the comedy store? Um I I saw the, the cover of the book. And the cover of the book, immediately when I saw that, I think I hit up Ben Fong. <laughs> and then yeah. I hit up Kathy Lou. And I was like, can I get Amber on the show? I didn't know anything about it. I just saw the cover. And I was like, whatever's in here is going to be interesting. I don't know if I'm going to like it. And then I started reading it. I didn't watch any interviews with you. And again, I didn't know who. Sorry. Just like you, sometimes that shit works both ways, right? We didn't know who you were. <laughs> I'm and not insulted at all. I'm shocked whenever anyone knows who I am. Um, and I couldn't put it down. <laughs> I was re- I was reading and reading. I was like, this is really fucking. I spent a lot of my day to day trying to finish it. Um, not to just get it over with, but because I was really enjoying an insightful take there's things that you have said on shows that literally verbatim i've said the same things mm. i'm like you know this bitch is fucking watching me <laughs> she could be on the under little sneaky ass <laughs> <laughs> but i i 
really one of the one of the better books I've read so far. And, and because of this job, as you know, we we do read. Uh, we have to read a lot of books as we have a mm-hmm. lot of guests that write books. Um, but thank you so much, Amber. Um, thank you guys for hanging out and watch with us. Everybody that watched, I'll give them an argument. Please leave a like for Ben. If you have it in your hearts, uh, leave a like for This Is Revolution. We could uh, we could use it. Uh, think of it as your hand-waving, anti-racist, uh, great gesture for the day. If you really want to see stuff like this persist, think about becoming a patron uh, beyond having access to the Champagne Room and movie nights, which are so much fun. You should join us for a movie night, Amber. We watch, I would love that. We watched Rollerball the other night, the 1973-75 Rollerball. It's a great movie. We watch ninja movies. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> It's my channel, so I'm okay. fucked up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's fun. Trust me. Um, you also you get all that access, and you also make sure we can c- continue to do this. Um. So thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. Um. Ben, I love you like a play cousin. Amber, <laughs> it's it was a pleasure, and let's leave with some cartoons tonight. Peace, guys. Thanks.